Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 369, Fix O'Sullivan. Empathy is your superpower in dating and relationships. Hey everybody, this is Sandy Weiner. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe that it's never too late to have the love you want, and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards that she deserves in life and love. So you may ask, what is a woman of value? It's actually the name of my new company, thewomanofvalue.com, so check it out after the show. We have lots of great stuff over there for women in business who want to really shine and be all they can be. So a woman of value is somebody who shows up, stands up, and speaks up. She knows how to show up as her authentic self in every area of life. She takes a stand for what matters most, and she speaks up about her feelings, her wants, and needs. Every week I bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value, and this week's tip is don't make assumptions. This is such a big topic in the dating and relationship world where we come in with all of our preconceived notions about a person, about even if you're dating online and you look at a profile and you see somebody who's wearing a certain outfit and you make an assumption about them or they write one word and you form a whole conclusion about their personality. So instead of making assumptions, I encourage you today to practice curiosity. Ask questions. Don't assume you know anything about a person. If something triggers you, get curious. That is my challenge for you for the week. And before I bring on my guest, I want to remind everybody that I have a Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who are either dating or in a relationship and would like some positive support, not a place to just vent and talk about how frustrating everything is, but a place to move forward so that you can go on your last first date. So don't forget to include your before last first date and go into Facebook for your last first date, and we will let you come into that group. So many people come from the radio show, so I am really excited to welcome more women into the show. And now I'm going to bring on my guest. His name is Figs O'Sullivan, Theatra Figs O'Sullivan, And he has been heard on NPR's All Things Considered. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is certified in EFT for couples, which was made famous by Sue, what's her name, Um, Johnson? Is that her last name? Sue Johnson, yes. Sue Johnson, Johnson. yes. Hold me tight. Love that book. He is the creator of the Empathy Method, and that's spelled with an I at the end, and the certification process for empathy coaches. His life's mission is to help couples feel more connected. That's a great mission. Welcome to the show, Figs. Well, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. How'd you get that nickname, Figs? <laughs> I want to know that you know, first before we start. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I have been called Figs since I was five or six years old. Huh? So my my real name, Fiacra, um, is, is not a very common name in Ireland. A little bit more um, common these days, but um, but when I was growing up, it wasn't very common. And basically, you know, the kids decided 
to come up with a different name for me. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry I butchered your name. That's okay. Piacra. Okay, no, now I know. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> well done. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. Most most people butcher it. That's okay. <laughs> you have to spell things phonetically for people not to mess it up. Right. right. So figs yeah. is easy. We can remember figs. Yeah, fig, figs is easy. You're right. Yeah. So let's start with your inspiration for becoming a couples counselor. What What was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, well, so the the main inspiration, you know, is my own pain and suffering, right? Like that's my main qualification. Inspiration is, you know, I, I see myself as a wounded healer. Um, I'm wounded first, healer second. And that's actually, I believe, fundamental to anyone that's going to be a good healer, so to speak, is that, you know, I have to have as much access to my wounded parts as I do my healer parts if I I'm going to be able to help other people have access to their own internal healer parts so they they can grow and heal themselves. So, you know, so, you know, I'm the cliched story of the son of an alcoholic father and a heartbroken mother. Um, And all of the, the, um, the gifts that that gave me and, you know, and certainly that sounds sarcastic, but there are real gifts in, being betrayed by life in that way because it gives gave certainly gave me an opportunity to overcome you know to really feel into my own pain vulnerability to be able to empathize with other people and to become even more of myself than I would have ever had an opportunity to become if I didn't have such a betrayal in life you know uh, speaking a betrayal in the in you know, like in a more like Jungian psych- psychology kind of way. Mm. Yeah, I, I like the way that you talked about the wounded healer because I, I do think that's such a common thing that we make our pain our our gift. Um, and, and not everybody can do that, but I think if you can, I think that makes you the best healer that there is. Uh, yeah, absolutely, right. And and again, this is a double-edged sword then for people, right? I always like if you're looking for a coach or a counselor, if they have it all worked out, if they have all their stuff worked out and they're not wounded, they're just the experts sitting on top of a hill, I'd be very careful. But then, of course, mm-hmm. you also don't want to see someone that is like still like rolling in their own pain and suffering and can't get out of their own way, you know what I mean? So. So there's some yeah. fine balance between, you know, like how many therapists really are doing the work because they want to try and heal themselves. And yet that's great on one level and on the other, like, you know, you want to be careful they don't leak all over you, their own pain and suffering. So so yeah. it's, a, it's, a t- it's a tough one to, to pick and find the right, you know, guys, you know, um, in that way. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I found that so many of the therapists I had gone to were leaking all over the place. And I could feel it as an empathic person. I could feel that they were not happy and that they were projecting. And I had had one who fell asleep while we were in couples counseling. She she would fall asleep each time. And I was just like... I don't think they yeah. are getting our money's worth here somehow. Yeah, but that, um, that is impressive <laughs> to, to fall asleep in. I get, you know, falling asleep in individual counseling, obviously terrible, but relative, <laughs> like I can understand this, you know, but 
falling yeah. asleep in couples counseling, that's like, that's, they should win a prize. <laughs> that's a right. Like, deal. how do you do, how does that even possible? Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. you had that experience. That's terrible. <laughs> well, Ouch. you know, you, you learn to be more discerning about who you want in your life on every level. Exactly. I think. Right. And, um, but I have seen so many healers online who are talking about their vulnerability in a way that's um, a cry for attention. And it's, sure. it's, they're still so wounded that I just don't want to see I don't want to see anything they have to say. And I know Brene Brown talks about this, and she has in the past, about um, when you share your story, like when you share your vulnerability, you, if you haven't worked through your stuff yet, the audience then feels responsible for you, for healing you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're telling your story from a stage it's really important to have worked through the wounds so that you're not making your audience responsible. And I, I, I've been, I've right. seen both, you know, and I think it's the same thing yeah. that you're talking about here. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really wise advice, you know, to work through your own stuff before you're like going and offering advice to others. Mm-hmm. Or be in process and admit your vulnerabilities in certain areas, too, but not be a total freaking mess. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about empathy. Um, And it's it's been a a big buzzword for a while now. Um, My ex-husband actually studied nonviolent communication and and, um, created an empathy labyrinth as our marriage was falling apart and he went to get help for himself. Uh, This was quite, quite the miracle gift of our marriage ending was him learning how to express emotions and how to be more empathic. So empathy is huge. And why, why is it such an important thing in dating and relationships? Yeah, well, so empathy, you know, just a short little definition, just your ability to take the perspective of another person and to feel what they're feeling in your own body, you know, in your own, you know, physical sensations um that that's essential in love and relationship because ultimately what human beings long for the most is to know that i'm not alone you're actually here with me and that when i'm hurting you actually feel it and it matters to you um so so that empathic experience like having moments like that with each other is actually more comforting um, and more nourishing in a relationship than, you know, like a, a box of chocolates, flowers, what a wonderful vacation we had. I'm so glad we just upgraded our house. Like, you know, all of those things actually don't matter very much mm-hmm. if you are not sharing empathic experiences with each other. Because that's what tells our limbic system, okay, okay, I'm actually connected. I'm not alone. I am good enough. Um, and, and without that foundation, it's very hard to actually feel like you're thriving in the world, regardless of what successes you have. Yeah, very well said. And so what oh, I find you. is a lot of people who come to me are struggling with getting um, taken in by all those external things that you just mentioned, the flowers, the kind mm-hmm. words. And they, and then they see that this person really is lacking empathy, and they're they're trying to make sense of it because it's like, well, 
that's missing, but but look, they do kind things for other people. And so they, they excuse away the most important thing, which is empathy and being able to communicate clearly and kind, kindly and compassionately. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do people struggle that so much with really discerning that empathy is, is kind of their birthright? Yeah, well, so I, I don't think people in general are, you know, it's not like people are maybe more so kids these days are actually given actual classes or like, you know, actually help to learn empathy. But in general, it's something that people have just assumed that they'll just pick it up, you know? Um, But so here, here's the one thing I would just say, like the essence of my work is to help people see that, Usually if there's a moment of lacking empathy that the two people are in a system with each other, that it's never quite as simple as there's just one person is just not empathic and the the other person is amazingly empathic, Mm -hmm. that things rarely happen in isolation like that. Usually what's happening is there is an emotional system that's playing out. And there, there's two main questions that I would say that are really only being asked in, in relationship. And usually one person is asking one more than the other, and their partner is asking the second question more than the first one. And those two questions are, are you there for me? And variations of are you there for me are, am I special to you? Do I matter to you? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Do you see me? And look, in a heterosexual relationship, huge generalization. Typically, that's the woman in the relationship. And again, it's not always the woman, right? But more, you know, seven out of ten times, that's just going to be asking that question. And, and if they are asking that question because they have a wound inside them around, am I really loved? Am I really cared for? Am I really important? Are you really here with me? Um, then just inevitably, and they're, they're not even asking the question explicitly, but they're delivering it that that's how they feel. You're not really here. You're not really loving me. Well, then almost instantaneously, their partner is going to get triggered, right, or their prospective partner is going to get triggered into their ex- pre-existing wound, which is I'm not sure that I'm good enough. I'm not sure that I'm acceptable. And now they're going to try and do things to, they're going to be asking that question, am I good enough now? How about now? What do you think now? Like, maybe I'm not in trouble today. Or they're going to be trying to avoid asking that question at all because continually getting the answer that you're a disappointment, that you're not enough, and you do not meet my expectations, it just it hurt way back then when they were little, and it still really, really hurts right now. So usually if someone looks like they're lacking in empathy, they're not actually quote unquote lacking in empathy. What they're doing is trying to avoid hurting again, feeling like they're a disappointment once again. And so this is the tragedy of romantic relationships at first is one person that is already like primed to feel, I don't think you're really here, sends a signal, you know, and it hurts if I don't think you're here, but then they send a signal that like, oh my God, like you're not here for me. And whether they mean to or not, they signal to their partner, their prospective partner, I'm disappointed in you, or I'm on my way to being disappointed in you. Then they hurt because all they want to do is feel acceptable and they're not a disappointment. And now they're going to pull away or avoid feeling like a disappointment. But the way they pull away or look disinterested, which is really born out of trying not to hurt, 
signals to their partner, see, I'm really not here. And now I have even more good reason to double down of being disappointed in you. And I should even double down further and ask for my needs to be met even more, which, of course, now that confirms for their partner or their prospective partner, whoop, if I thought I was about to be a disappointment, I am a disappointment. So, yeah, I ain't be going to be given some love and care today because it's too dangerous. Now, that is a tragedy, right? Because here are two people, all they both want is to feel loved and connected. And what they managed to co-create with each other was this awful, awful pain and sadness and disconnection. Yeah, this is the attachment, the avoidant, and the anxious that we talking about here with attachment theory. Well, sure. I mean, I don't use I don't use that language myself, but like, mm. absolutely, right? That would be the official attachment language. Would be one person primarily, usually in relationship, is what's referred to as anxiously attached, and their partner is quote unquote avoidantly attached. But both of those people together actually form a perfect whole. But the opportunity for healing at first looks like it's a problem. And, of course, the more the anxious doubles down and I need to ask for my needs more and I need to, like, ask for what I want, the more, unfortunately, they send the message to the avoidant, look, you better keep avoiding because it's not safe with this person. Like, connection yeah. isn't safe. And, and this is the tragedy because now bo- both of them actually want connection, but what they do you know, and what they're advised to do, quite frankly, by Cosmopolitan, their granny, their mother, their friends, you know, um, you know, the guys at the pub, what they're advised to do actually makes things worse. Mm. So it's very tragic. And then, of course, eventually they come to see me. And then I help them <laughs> see, look, neither of you, neither of you the bad guy, right? You both make sense. You're both hurting. Of course you would be hurting. And this is only happening because you love each other so much. And if I can get them to a place that they believe that deep inside them, now we could have an empathic experience. And in that empathic experience, which is actually a neutral moment, if we can hold them in that place where I really get it, I'm hurting and you're hurting, and this is a tragedy for both of us, this is awful for you and me, now we could reach out and find each other. Now we're no longer a threat to each other. Now my expectations of you aren't going to land on you like you're scared to get close to me. And now I don't need to pull away anymore because you look like you're actually safe and that maybe I could be acceptable to you. So that's why we need both people to create an empathic moment. It can never be I'm the one that's empathic, where are you? And the other person is the bad one, right? Or in the same breath, it can't be the other person is like, well, look, look at her. She's too much. Not going to try and get close to her. No, both people create a lack of empathy, right? And the only way to a better relationship is we've got to work on it together. Mm. Yeah, I hear your passion in, in your voice. You get very excited about this topic. Uh, and I can see why. It, it's, it's, there's such misunderstanding about this. And I, I love the idea of seeing a relationship as a system because I think many people see it as there's me, there's you, that's it. You know? And then you go in your corner when you're hurt, they go in their corner when they're hurt, and then there's me versus you instead of the system, which is the relationship you create together. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, so here, if I can just say something about it. So here's like, yeah. look, all the personal development stuff, the main prevailing wisdom is born out of, um, you know, the 60s and like this mixing existential psychotherapy with um, with Eastern philosophy. And, uh, you know, this Gestalt prayer was born, the me being me and you being you. And if we get along, great. And if we don't get along, it cannot be helped. And so... Mm-hmm. Look, they, they, and then without even realizing it, that prayer, that quote-unquote disowned prayer, has permeated our culture. And that people have been living inside of this model where I'm going to be me. I have needs. I'm going to ask for them. And if you don't meet them, like, well, hard luck. You're obviously not the right person for me, right? Or if someone's like, I'm going to be me. I'm going to go play video games all night. And if you don't like it, well, this is me. Hard luck, yeah. right? And that, that's crazy, right? That's just crazy, right? That, that prayer is only half the prayer, right? We need to add the second part is that, look, we are interdependent. We are an interdependent species. No, I can't just be me and ask for whatever I want and not regard the impact I have on you, right, and the impact my wounding has on you. And the same way as, no, I can't be sitting around playing video games all night and not consider the impact it has on you, given the fact I'm your primary emotional bonding partner, and it must be devastating for you that I'm missing. So, so we, so one of the things I just have to add the second part of we have a big impact on each other, and we can't just be working out inside of ourselves what it is that I'm feeling and what it is I need, and then I'm going to ask for it. That has to be combined with. What is the impact I have when I'm being me and another? And then hopefully, fingers crossed, I could actually give to um, bleeps about the impact I have in another when I'm being me and responding the way I do when I'm hurting or trying to survive in the world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a really important piece. I think that um, one of the things I teach my clients is even on a date when, um, like a client I spoke to this morning had a date with somebody who is an intellectual, and so the whole conversation was about ideas. There was nothing Mm -hmm. romantic at all about the date, and she said, I just didn't feel that romantic spark. And I said, well, let's talk about how you show up on that date. (laughs) Let's talk about how you stay in that conversation where there is no chance of a romantic spark. You know, talking Mm -hmm. about ideas is great, but if you're on a date and you really want to find out what that person's values are and their passions and their heart and connect in a deeper way, you can't stay in that realm of brain. You have to bring your heart along. And so we have so much control over that rather than waiting passively for somebody to just blow us over with chemistry and, um, right. you know, and it's just going to hit you like lightning, like in the movies. <laughs> yeah, look, it, look, for you, you look, this is obviously your area of expertise, like first dates and stuff. Like, you know, I, so you know, it's hard, right? Like I, I, those, those situations are so hard. Like, you know, it makes sense to me that on a first date, someone might first move to their area of competency. Now, if their area of competency is their intellect, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I imagine for 99% of people, it's kind of terrifying being on a first date, even if they don't yeah. acknowledge it to themselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, if this, if this prospective partner's area of competency is his intellect, 
when he first meets you, like, okay, like, so he's going to go, like, trying to make sure that he's okay. He doesn't even realize that's what he's doing. Um, and so, like, you know, my hope would be, let's say, if I was the person on a date with him, just like I would do it as a therapist, like, as a therapist, if someone comes into my office and they start off all heady, I'm not going to challenge them or try and change them from being heady. In fact, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to validate the hell out of them. Now, I'm not like, look, if if I have to validate the hell out of them and like and we're on day four and nothing or two or three and nothing has changed. But the, the reason why I would validate the hell out of them, um, you know, accept them, validate them is that I believe that once human beings actually feel safe and go like, you know what, I don't have to be in this competency mask now. I, I actually, I'm accepted, I'm validated by this person. Now maybe it's safe for them to drop beneath that. Um, and one of the things I love as an intervention, you know, as we were to call it in dating, an intervention, is um, like, um, I was going to say inadvertent touch, but like little mini micro touches. Because when someone feels threatened and let's say they get all heady and they're like, you know, chatting away about their chemistry knowledge, uh-huh. there's a, there's an actual organism underneath the brain. And if you can signal to that organism while listening, so you're validating the brain doing this little, I'm a smarty pants thing. But then if you could actually somehow touch their arm, even just, and I don't mean like, like romantic or sexual touching, right? Uh-huh. But some little, like, as you're, like, validating, you reach over. There's some moment that it seems appropriate, and you just give their arm a little squeeze. What that does is it tells the limbic system, the actual threatened little animal inside them, even though, they again, they don't probably notice they're threatened. You just give this message to their body, hey, you are safe here. You do not have to inflate yourself in this moment. And so the, the touch is really, really powerful. Mm. Hey, I share that little. No, that's great. I, I, it's, I give this advice too. It's like touching somebody oh, below the elbow, especially if you're not touching right. them in some weird, vulnerable place. But that, yeah, that exactly gentle touch right. on the arm is, is really yeah. powerful. Yeah. That's um, great. Yeah. And it's interesting with the limbic system. I, it, it's it's so much as safety, and we we don't show up as our full self usually when we first meet someone. We're we're in sending the representative in, and it's like right, you yeah. know. Um, it's, sometimes it takes a while for humor to come out, which is also vulnerable, yeah. and, and you know, really right. get to know somebody. But unfortunately, we don't yeah. have the luxury of, of that you do in an office situation where you can validate right. the hell out of somebody for three sessions and then exactly, they show vulnerability yeah. right? um, i know the stakes are so much higher i know look i i just to all your listeners like i you know i remember very well being single and dating and like it's look i my heart goes out like obviously it's a rich and exciting time and a time full of growth it certainly was for me like in some ways some of the most expansive time in my life but i also know it can be just really really painful process right of of trying to find that right person yeah no it does take time but but knowing yourself and being more in touch with how to be empathic and how to how to really take take responsibility for your share in a relationship is huge um absolutely 
So I want to go back to um, something you said before. Um, you said there are two main questions being asked. Are you there for me mm-hmm. is the first question. What was the second question? Yeah. Uh, am I enough for you? Okay. Okay. That's what I thought, but I Sorry, wasn't yes, sure I if that was, that. A, that was yeah, a separate question. Or am I, acceptable? am I acceptable? Am I enough? And um, yeah. and usually the person that's asking, am I acceptable, am I enough, asks that question in more subtle ways, right? The, the am I there for you person, right, again, because firstly, Cosmopolitan told them you should ask for your needs to be met, right? So they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I will, right? So they, 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 the person <laughs> usually is a bit more explicit. And, um, and then, of course, the am I enough for you person he typically whispers it. And they also say, I don't even care. I don't care what you think of me. Right. right, but right. they do, but but they really, really do. Right, yeah. like I said, it's just their their mask. It's just their, their and they believe. That unfortunately, a lot of people actually believe they don't care, and they don't see the way they don't care is just a mask that they've developed to protect themselves. It, it's not actually true. It's not who they are. You know, yeah. and again, so this is the tragedy about these, you know, quote unquote, unempathic people. It's not actually who they are. Now, again, on a first date, that's not your responsibility to be like, you know, going and finding them and helping them heal, right? Like, I'm sure you, you talk to your listeners about that. But, but it is sad, right? And if you could, at the very least, see and know, like, right underneath Mr. Brainy Pants or Mr. Um, lack of Empathy Pants, there is, like, actually a very sweet little, you know, like threatened little boy in there, right? And this is what he had to learn how to do to survive. And, and, and so at the very least, like maybe it, the one thing it gets you is you don't have to take it personally. As per, It is still very personal because it sucks to go on a date and not to work out. But it's definitely not you, right? It's like yeah. this poor person, this is what they've learned to do to survive. God bless them. And by the way, I'm not religious, but I just have that Irish <laughs> Catholic language. But, you know, Poor devil. Would you look at what he had to learn how to do to survive in the world? You yeah, know, so, and, it's, yeah. and it's not our job to fix it. Exactly. Definitely not. Yeah, that's, you don't want to collect, you know, a, a, a sack full <laughs> of, like, men or that you've tried to fix. No, sorry, I know I'm making an assumption here. Most of your listeners are women. I hope that's good. <laughs> or, you are. know, <laughs> that they're dating men. But, you know, yeah, like, you just, yeah, don't be collecting uh Although some people, they do. You have to collect your sack of, like, you know, people you tried to heal before you realize, like, this, it has to get really bad before you realize, like, okay, I have to change this up. And there's no, there's no wisdom that you're going to be available to until things get really, things get bad enough where you're, like, trying to fix someone or change someone into your ideal partner. Like, usually, unfortunately, people have to get to a pretty desperate place before they'll do the work, you know? It's true. So, that's that's usually when they come to see me and you, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, my exactly. God, I can't I know, take it I, anymore. Yeah, and I love, like, right, you, like, you know, you're helping them get there, right, where they get in the relationship, and then, like, a couple of years later, you know, you. They, they come knocking on my door or whatever, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and you know I have a I have a client who just returned to me who's back in that same pattern again, and she's right. been in a relationship for a couple months after taking a break for five years, and she goes, "How did I end up here again?" And you know, and I why why I did so much work, and I can see I can see the writing on the wall and who she attracts, and 
you know, and often it's ignoring the big red flags when they show up and not knowing how to deal with somebody who starts to shut down and all these patterns that keep repeating. And some of it is just a personality defect, you know, somebody who's really dangerous for her to be around, and some is is what gets created together. Um, So let's let's talk about uh, the empathy relationship quiz. You have a quiz and assessment process and how either people who are single or in relationships can benefit from it. Yeah, so so I created empathy.com, and again, like you like you mentioned, it's empathy with an I on the end, not a Y on the end. Um, I couldn't, the guy wouldn't sell me empathy with a Y on the end.com, so I had to <laughs> j- just kind of Jimmy rig empathy together with a funny uh-huh. spelling. But but basically, at empathy.com, if you go to empathy.com, we have a free web app process. You just hit the quiz link, and you will answer a bunch of questions about you and how you feel and respond and react and what your perspective is of your partner um, or past partner um, or an amalgamation of your past partner. And when, once you answer those questions, uh, then you will get what we refer to as your self-discovery report. And when you get, it'll just tell you who you are in love and relationship from an attachment perspective. And then you can invite your present or past partner. And of course, there's a way to do this as a single person. I'll get to it, right? Right. Mm. Um, and then, then your, your present or past partner could take the quiz and then they'll get their self-discovery report. But then most importantly, because now we have both of your answers, you get your relationship system report. And this is where you will actually see illustrated for you by these empathy creatures we've created. Um, and, you know, personalized um, like copy for you um, like what you co-create together and what you would have to do to make love and relationship work from an attachment, emotional bonding systems perspective. Now, if you're like, if you're single and you wanted to do it, you, instead of sending it to your ex partner, which of course, if they'd be willing to do it and you think that would be useful, go for it. But the other thing you can do is just send the uh, invitation to another email of your own and then do a little method acting where you then, when you get that second email and that invitation to your partner, try and embody whether, again, this is an amalgamation of all your past partners or your, like, your last partner, whatever you think would be most effective. Try and actually, um, like, take on their perspective and imagine you answering the quiz as them, as if they're in relationship with you. And then you get to read their self-discovery report and you see like, whoa, this is what it was actually like for them. As, you know, like from a perspective where they actually made sense, they weren't just, uh, you know, a, um, a-hole. Um, I'm, I'm really trying not to curse. It's an Irish, I'm working hard on it, right? And, and then you could get, when you see your relationship system report, at the very least, to have this other perspective of, like, for six sake, maybe we created a system with each other as opposed to they were just crap, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. because ultimately, ultimately, that perspective, if it resonates with you at all, can lead to a, a bigger opening, like, for you to be available to what, what's next for you, you know, what next adventure, love, is, is lying in wait for you. So yeah, empathy.com, awesome. take the quiz, 
and um, yeah, it, it did. And in fact, pretty soon, um, we're actually one of my staff members is um, single and has really been very brave and gone documented the process of going through the empathy process. You know, she's a couple of therapists, right? And going through the process of empathy and letting people know everything that came up for her. And that article is mm. going to be published in the next week or two. Should be on oh, the blog. But yeah. All anyway. right. Well, send me the link and I'll yeah. put it in the show notes for this okay. for this show on my blog. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, I will. This is this is uh, this is such an interesting topic, and I, I I'm really enjoying the conversation. And in closing, what is your yeah. best advice? for our listeners who want to go on their last first date? Um, yeah, well, I would, I would try and get to know uh, and be curious about your own reactivity. Anytime you're in judgment of another, uh, what, where does it come from inside of you? If you're in judgment of another, you're probably having a vulnerable experience and there's something you're not getting. And could you then actually share about yourself, no requests of anyone else, no asks of needs to be met. Can you write underneath my judgment? I'm having a vulnerable experience because there's some way I'm not feeling love. And could you then share that vulnerable experience with no requests at the end of it? Don't ask for anything. Hmm. So you're just kind of leaving it in their lap? <laughs> when you, uh, yeah, well, so, well, if, if you really want to be heard, because remember, every time you make a request, most likely what you're going to do is trigger the other person's alert system that I'm on my way to not being enough. But when you actually let them see you as just a vulnerable human being, that like the reason right now I may look disappointed in you is I'm actually starting to get scared and sad that I don't matter to you, is, and don't, don't ask for anything at the end of it. The, the less you describe another person and the less you ask questions of, of them, of the, ask them to do stuff, the less threatening you will be to them emotionally. So don't describe other people. Don't, don't ask them to do things. And, of course, you, nobody succeeds at doing this all the time. Just try and do your best to work out what is the vulnerable experience you're having and share your vulnerability. Um, no requests. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it definitely is giving me food for thought. And, <laughs> uh, Right. Because I think what happens is we shut down. We just shut down or we get angry and we blame the other person. And just by saying yeah. this is going on for me right now. Um, exactly. This is what's happening. And you, you've just increased the likelihood of the – now, again, nothing is perfect. You have increased the likelihood of the other person being able to stay in contact with you if you only describe yourself. And unfortunately – Asking a question of another person, like, will you show up for me in this way? Imagine it this way. If you had a vulnerability inside, you've had many experiences of people being disappointed in you. The moment you start asking them a question about, will you show up for me this way? Their body is already on high alert that I am, if I'm not already a disappointment, I am on my way to being a disappointment. And they're going to now have to activate to defend themselves. Now, whether that's they're a shutter downer, they start to get, they can't stay present anymore, they get defensive, they blame you, whatever routine they run that they've learned how to do. You want, like, you just want to do the best you can to not trigger that routine they do. And the best way to do it 
try and work out always right underneath my request of another is the vulnerable experience I'm having. Share the vulnerable experience. Don't put a request on it. And I know that it's paradoxical. And I know that flies in the face of a lot of the mainstream advice out there. But again, I love the mainstream advice out there because I'll always have business because it ain't working. <laughs> right? It ain't working. Like, come here. It, it, just think about it. If working out what an amazing queen you are and like I freaking deserve love and let me go ask for it if it worked then look I would be out of business it it ain't working people everybody's taking this advice and it's not it's not it's not working so so we gotta try something new get vulnerable share your vulnerability drop the request okay I mean I I find that if I don't make a direct request things also don't change. So like I, I, I'll do yeah. a real quick example and then, then we have yeah. to we have to end the show. Yeah, yeah. But um with one of my children who makes promises and doesn't always follow through. Um sure. so instead of I don't come at her accusing, I let her know the impact of it on me that I'm right. you know, I really value the connection and I really want to be with her and when she tells me I'll be there in a few hours I count on her. So I make yeah. a request that in the future she either doesn't make a false promise or she lets me know in advance that yeah. she's got other plans. And it's it works because she just did it the other day. She she called me and she right. said, I don't think I'll be able to make it today. So if you don't make that direct request, how does something change? Yeah, I, I mean, look, there's, a, of course, horses for courses, if you're familiar with that expression. But but basically, look, there, there, are two, there are two good places to make a, a request of another person. Two good places to ask your needs to be met. I'll describe them very quickly, right? Place number okay. one to ask your needs to be met is if you find you and your partner or you and your kids running through a field together and it's beautiful and sunny and you look in each other's eyes and all you see is, oh, my God, you're so there for me. And the other person sees, oh, this is wonderful. I'm enough for you. It's safe. Ask for everything you want. Right. Brilliant. Now. The second place that it's a good place to ask your needs to be met is where you really are in the pain so much. I feel so unmet. I feel so unloved. And I'm actually just hurting. And I don't have an ounce anymore because I'm so enwrapped in my own pain about feeling unloved that there's no more room for me to be in blame or criticism of the other person. And mm-hmm. so if you can get to that place that you're truly, truly in a vulnerable experience, sans it's, and you're the one that did it to me, and like, and you barely, in fact, it hurts so much, you barely can get the energy out to ask because you don't want to even be seen by the world when you're hurting this way. The, mm. Then go, that, that's a great place to ask for your needs to be met. Unfortunately, mm. all those other places in the middle, even though it totally makes sense, it's not wrong, but most likely if you're standing in front of someone that already has a history with you or in their life with other people of feeling like they're a disappointment, they're actually going to contract the moment they suspect I'm on my way to being told, like, I'm not doing what it is you want me to do. And then you're yeah. not, this is the sad part. Your vulnerability won't even be received. And, and that's mm-hmm. tragic, right? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I everything totally hear is that. more nuanced, but, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And there's skill sets here that people, people can develop. And uh, and so we're we're covering a lot of important things in a exactly. short period of time, but this is this is something very much worth exploring further. So go to fix, 
website, empathy.com. Check out the quiz. Find out who you are at your core, who your partner is or past partners are, and uh, and and go forward with good information um, to help you have better relationships. So thank you so well, much for you. being on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor again, and uh, thank you for your listeners for putting up with me. <laughs> And thank you, listeners, for listening. And if you yeah. love our show, please yeah. rate and review it over at iTunes and or wherever you listen to podcasts. And share this. Share this with somebody who you know will benefit. And I uh, hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great, great day. Mm-hmm.